I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Today's number is 325. That, my friend, is how many reviews... Andy and I have written over the years at OverdueReview.com. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if we've reached the end of the road or not. If you've gone to the website or tried to go to the website in the last couple weeks, you've noticed that uh, the website has been suspended. Uh, It's because we got hacked a few uh, weeks ago, about a month ago, and um, our server ended up shutting us down until we get everything fixed up and they want a bunch of money for us to do it. And I've been trying to do it myself, but it's not necessarily my strong suit. So I'm trying to get it all fixed. But since we don't make any money off the site, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure what we're going to do, but just wanted to keep you in the loop on what's going on with Overdue Review. So right now the site uh, does not exist, but I'm trying to at least get all of our writing back so maybe we can go somewhere else. Uh, from here, but we'll figure it out. So, damn hackers. But there you go. That's your bittersweet number of the day, 325. That sucks. This is the Stream Police Podcast. So, yeah, thankfully they... uh, Cannot hack into my closet, the ultimate analog technology tool, the closet recording studio of the home podcaster here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Clint Davis, your co-host for this monthly series where we take a look at what's streaming and what's on TV, what's in theaters, and uh, what's playing over on Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your music. Basically what you should be checking out out there. We'll be hearing from Andy Sedlak in just a little bit, our music man. I don't know if you can tell, I don't know if my voice, if you can you can hear it here, but I've been down and out the last few days, so this episode's coming at you a little bit later than uh, it, it really should be, but uh, yeah, I came down with some kind of virus, so for the last couple of days I've just been kind of knocked out, so it's not been the greatest time in the world, really, so I'm going to have to skip my stogie, usually I light my stogie up here in my closet in Cincinnati, but not doing that today just because my throat is uh, is is about as weak as it can be. So uh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give you the show, and I'm gonna get jump out of this closet. I'm gonna get back in bed. So uh, please forgive me that. Beth and I have been uh, watching on Netflix lately the new Queer Eye reboot. You remember Queer Eye for the straight guy back in the day? 
Um, I never really watched that show. I, I might have seen like an episode of it in passing, but I never really watched it. I mean, the gist of the show is that you had this group of five uh, gay guys who would, you know, take a, a straight guy who was, you know, kind of like a schlub and they would, you know, kind of uh, make him over and get him to rethink, you know, his his choices as far as, you know, fashion and, and food and the things he does in his life. And that's that's what this new version of the show is doing. And so, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk about that next month because we've only watched a couple episodes of it so far. But I got to say, I'm really enjoying it. Um, as far as an unscripted reality series goes, uh, really enjoying it. I think watching it in the Netflix format is better than on TV because you don't have all those commercials getting in the way, which those shows just seem to be loaded with commercials when you watch them on a network like TLC or uh, you know the Food Network or wherever you know it might be a Bravo or something like that. So um, if you uh, are, are have been wondering about that, about checking it out. I got to tell you, it's got my tentative uh, seal of approval so far after just a couple episodes. I really did enjoy at least the first episode. So you should watch that and see if you'd be into it. That is streaming right now on Netflix and it's just called Queer Eye this time. No for the straight guy, but it is the same uh, premise at least so far that we've seen. All right, let's get to uh, what I like to open every episode of the Stream Police podcast with the greatest TV show theme song of all time, this week. And for this week's pick, we go back to the innocent days of my adolescence and one of the most iconic openings of that era of television. I'm talking about the late 90s, early 2000s here. This week's pick always started with a friendly hello, followed by a twangy punk country guitar riff that welcomed you to one of TV's all-time great guilty pleasures. Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. You know it, and you love it. The theme song from MTV's Jackass was a tune called Corona by an L.A. punk band called Minutemen. And I don't know about you, but I always thought that this sounded a little bit like the intro to King of the Hill, but with like more attitude and less cowbell. Of course, King of the Hill came before Jackass, but the song Corona by Minutemen came out well before King of the Hill. It came out in 1984. So I don't know if somebody who, uh, if whoever did the instrumental, uh, you know, the theme song to King of the Hill liked the song Corona. I don't know. I could see Mike Judge, creator of that show, being into Minutemen and, and, and liking that song and kind of saying, hey, this could be a good theme song. I'm not sure. I don't know the story behind the King of the Hill theme song, but that's what it always reminded me of. So anyway, Jackass, if you don't remember it, this was one of those, those ultimate shows where I feel like you had to be there or you're just never going to understand what this show was all about. The show featured professional stunt performers and pranksters, a bunch of guys who were were buddies, basically, and would do these disjointed little short vignette segments throughout the show, like a half-hour episode of a show. There'd be a, a bunch of, you know, short, just little different skits, and they would do, like, really, you know, shitty homemade stunts at home that looked truly painful and horrible. They would do, um, you know, things out in public with hidden cameras, like the kind of stuff that Sasha Baron Cohen was doing with Borat. They would do that kind of stuff uh, and just freak people out all the time. And, and, and that was, you know, what made the show so funny were especially those hidden camera moments. But the stunts, um, you know, were equally just stunning to watch as well because you can't believe these guys are doing the things that they're doing. 
and the guys on this show, the the true gift of these guys was that they never met a line that they would not cross. And that was truly the gift of this show. I mean, these guys absolutely had no shame whatsoever. You think you've seen people who are shameless on TV shows. You have not until you've watched Jackass. These were the most shameless human beings that I've ever seen on TV. And names like Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, Bam Margera, Wee Man, Danger Aaron, Dave England, Chris Pontius, you know, Bunny the Lifeguard. These names became household stars for voluntarily doing things that you would not wish on your worst enemy, such as putting an earthworm up your nose and then struggling to suck it backward and pull it out of your throat. I mean, these kind of things were just just horrible. I was not a fan of like any of the things that they did involving animals or insects just because, you know, to me that was always kind of animal cruelty, but there was enough human cruelty to go around on this show as well. Like when Steve-O wore the jellyfish yarmulke, who could forget that? And then had to have pee poured on the top of his head to reduce the stinging. The pilot episode of Jackass, which aired in 2000 on MTV, established the show's M.O. perfectly with two stunts by Johnny Knoxville, who was the co-creator of the show and really the star of the show. One of them saw him sporting a fake erection in sweatpants as he carried on daily activities while hidden cameras watched. You know, he was doing things like lifting weights at the gym, trying to, uh, you know, like buy a car at a car dealership, get his car worked on by a mechanic, uh, playing basketball at a local pickup game at a park. Uh, all the while, he's got this massive erection uh, showing through his shorts, and it's just, it's just great. Just great stuff. And the other one, which ended the episode, was a... It featured Johnny Knoxville being trapped inside a used porta potty that was tipped upside down by a machine, all the while cameras inside watched and heard his pained screams. So that was the pilot of Jackass, and that was our introduction to this cultural phenomenon. Jackass was the definition of low culture when it comes to TV. And it wore that flag proudly. MTV also wore it proudly because the show sent the network to record ratings in prime time in the year 2001. But interestingly, the theme song was written from a very serious point of view. So Dee Boone, who was the guitarist for the band Minutemen, wrote the song Corona in 1984 after a trip to Mexico where he saw a poor woman picking up bottles of Corona to cash in for a little bit of money. So you got this sad image of this broken down poor Mexican woman picking up all these glass beer bottles that tourists have left all over the beautiful beaches of that country. But she's picking them up just to try to make five cents, you know, to cash them in at a recycling center. So that's basically the imagery and that's the that's the meaning behind this entire song. The full version of the song, if you look it up, features lyrics. But the Jackass theme was just a 20-second edit that made it sound like an instrumental. But if you look up the full version, I think you'll like it. It's only like a two-and-a-half-minute song. You should check it out. But again, it's called Corona by Minutemen. Um, but we're not talking about the full song. We're talking about the Jackass theme song. But alas, Jackass was canceled in 2002 after just three short seasons, likely because of the wave of negative press that the show received from amateur stunt people killing themselves 
trying to mimic the guys from the show, including teenagers. I think ultimately MTV caved under the pressure and the show just wasn't meant to be. Dee Boone never got to hear his song played before an episode of Jackass or to rake in the cash that came along with it because unfortunately he died in uh, 1985 in a car crash. So a year after he wrote this song, he ended up uh, being killed himself. And, you know, it's probably for the best, actually, that he never heard it on on the show, because based on the guy's empathetic songwriting style, he might not have been a fan of the show. But given that Jackass was about the most punk TV show I've ever seen that became a popular hit, he might have actually dug the show all along. So Corona, the theme from MTV's Jackass, that's my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. I got to tell you, man, I, I have very fond memories of watching Jackass. That show was truly a guilty pleasure, and it hit me at the exact perfect time. Now, I can imagine if you were 30 years old when Jackass came out, and you were like a serious TV viewer, you would have had to have thought this was like the absolute worst show ever aired on any network. But like I said, it was like the ultimate show where you had to be there at the time, and I think you had to be the right age, and I was the exact right age for this show. I was 12, going on 13, when the first episode aired, and I was instantly a fan. I used to set my VCR in my bedroom every time. Uh, for every Sunday night episode, I used to set it and tape it, and I had all these VHS tapes with like every episode of Jackass on it. I wish I still had those tapes so I could see like the commercials and you know really see it as it was airing. Um, I've got the DVD collections that they've put out, but just to, you know to, to have those on VHS, I think that's that that's something else altogether. But yeah, I used to tape every episode of it. That was at kind of my height of watching MTV back in the day. And everyone at school the next day would talk about what was on Jackass. Would talk about what's which stunt they liked the best, which you know prank they liked the best. Um, which guy they liked the most. And, you know, it was just, it was a, a total phenomenon, especially around my school. And I have to imagine around other schools across this country. You know, my friends and I copied the show ourselves by making our own home video version. And I distinctly uh, remember the awkwardness of having to talk about the show around uh, adults, but having to call it Jack Butt. That was what we always would call it when we were around, like, our parents or something. We'd, uh, like, I have to say to my mom, i got to get home because i got to watch Jack Butt. I mean, how stupid, just because, you know, we could, we felt like we couldn't say Jackass, but we, were, we could watch this show, but we couldn't say to our parents Jackass, so we called it Jack Butt. I, as far as I'm concerned, I think the show was ahead of its time. I mean, before YouTube, these were basically short viral videos that were compiled into a TV show. I think if Jackass had existed maybe five years later, in you know when YouTube had come around, uh, then I think the show would have been even bigger because the clips would have been huge online the next day. You know, each kind of short segment because the segments were always really short put up on YouTube. I mean, it would have been perfect for that kind of thing. So it was a great show if you had a short attention span. And obviously, as teens, we all did. It, this show was kind of like Impractical Jokers also, if the Jokers did things like put a baby doll into a car seat and then leave it on top of a moving car as it drives through town with the driver pretending to be a clueless father. But perhaps, you know, it's for the best that Jackass was canceled after just three seasons and 25 episodes because could you imagine sitting down to watch Chris Pontius dance at an electronics store in a thong or Dave England eating a snow cone made with urine? 
in a post-9-11 world, those innocent days where we could laugh at such things were over at that point. Of course, there have been three jackass movies that have come out, with uh, the last being in 2010. All three of them made a ton of money at the box office, if you look it up, um, on top of having very low budgets. So it continues to be a successful franchise. In 2013, the crew made a hidden camera prank movie called Bad Grandpa, starring Johnny Knoxville, that also killed at the box office and was even nominated for an Oscar for its makeup work. So there you go. Jackass has been nominated for an Oscar. What about you? Do you have any jackass memories? Did you watch it? Were you instantly turned off? I can't blame you at all if you were. Did you love it? Do you remember kids at school talking about it, talking about Johnny Knoxville, talking about Bam Margera, you know, talking about Ryan Dunn, may he rest in peace? Um, you know, I, I think as these guys have gotten older, they've changed their lifestyles. Steve O has, you know, been sober for a long time now. Um, and obviously Ryan Dunn was killed tragically in a car wreck and, you know, I, I think they just the, the guys got older, and so the show, if they were going to you know bring it back or do another movie, it, it might just be sad at this point. And you know, it's one of those things where I think the guys in the show need to be young. They need to be in in their twenties, probably at the latest. I don't want to watch some thirty year old dude stapling pieces of paper to his butt cheeks. You know, that's just not what I really want to watch on television. So I, I think it's just it, it's a young man's or young woman's show. I was always disappointed that they never really had any female jackasses in the cast, but. I don't know. So do you have any jackass memories? The, doing this segment for the uh, greatest TV show theme song of all time this week got me thinking back on that show and uh, thinking about how much I did enjoy it back in the day, but how I think it just hit at the perfect time for me, and then it was over. It was like a, a, a burning comet in the sky. Now let me change gears completely and talk about NBC's This Is Us, a show that could not possibly have a single thing in common with MTV's Jackass. So This Is Us just wrapped its second season on NBC, and I'm sure you probably watched it because it is the uh, really one of the only ratings juggernauts that exists and as far as scripted television goes right now. And it has been you know, really a, a, a huge success for NBC. People are talking about it. It's a critically acclaimed show as well. So it's not like those CBS shows that are always high rated, but the critics hate them. It's one of those rare shows where critics love it, audiences love it, and it's just, it's it, it's been taken off. And I've, I've really been into This Is Us since day one, talking about it with you on this show, going back uh, for the last two years. So talking about season two of This Is Us, I'm not going to give you any spoilers as I... I don't like to on this show, but uh, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. I'm not sure how much I love the fact that the show is now doing jump forwards as well as, you know, it's flashbacks that it's been doing since day one. The flashbacks weren't that jarring because it was sweet. You know, we got to see their parents at the age that they are. Um, and then we got to see them at the age that they are. They were, you know, 37 both ways. And just getting to see them at those times in their lives, um, I think, was a really nice, really elegant thing. But now all of a sudden we're jumping forward in time. So are we jumping forward to when their kids are 37 also? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what uh, if this how common this is going to be. But, I mean, I guess it gives the show even more material to work with. And it, it makes you wonder when the show is set. So I'm guessing we thought that the show was set in present day, um, which would be the, the scenes that we see of, you know, of Kate and of, of Randall and of Kevin uh, as 
as a you know full grown adults, we thought that was present day. But how can that be present day if we're jumping into the future? I mean, who can see the future? So I guess present day is the scenes where Randall's old and his daughter is grown up. I'm not sure. So it's kind of confusing. Are we jumping forward or are we actually jumping backward now? When we see, you know, Kate and Randall and Kevin as adults, I'm not sure. So that kind of blows your mind a little bit. And it makes the show feel like some kind of sci-fi series about the fragile threads of the space-time continuum. Which, again, I'm not, I don't know if I'm thrilled with. So I'm not, I'm not loving the flash-forwards yet. So far, I think it's just been a gimmick. They haven't really spent any time there or revealed anything too good there. But I'm guessing when we start next season, we'll, we'll start getting into that timeline a little bit more. The performances on This Is Us continue to be strong, and that's, you know, what is really making this show such a uh, such a hit with audiences as well as critics. Uh, Mandy Moore was able to shine, I felt like, more this season than she did in the first season when she was just kind of, she acted really as a foil in the first season. Um, she wasn't made out to be particularly likable in the first season. They made her a whole lot more three-dimensional, I thought, in this season, and I think going forward they will as well because obviously she's going to be a single parent, and hopefully we'll get to see more of how she was able to raise them. I mean, I feel like they've got to do more to show Rebecca as a good mom because she obviously was a good mom. I mean, if Jack died so early in the lives of these kids and all three of them are successful in their own ways as adults, I mean, I'd say all three of them are pretty well put together. Yeah, sure, they've definitely all got their issues. They're all unstable at points, but they're all pretty well put together. They've gone on to do you know, some very good things in their lives, especially two of them. I mean, you're talking very successful kids when you talk about Kevin and Randall. Um, so, I mean, Rebecca had to have been a pretty damn good mom to do that as a single parent after, you know, their father, who they idolized, had died at such a young age. I mean, he died pretty early in their lives. On the other hand, I do feel like the Jack worship has to stop because this show has got to make that character more three-dimensional in the long run. I mean, I know they, they showed him as an alcoholic, but even the alcoholic storyline is always one of, like, redemption and it's always one that ends up making the character kind of look better in the end and stronger in the end. So it's not even that to me is not even doesn't even show up as a character flaw yet. We haven't really seen him be too reckless as a drunk. So I don't know. I feel like we really do need to be more three dimensional with Jack because otherwise, I mean, he just comes off as this archetype for like, oh, the perfect parent, the the dead you know guy who you can never replace or top because he was just he was the perfect man. So. I don't know, and Milo Ventimiglia's performance is so endearing that you it's impossible to not like Jack, and the writers make it even more impossible to not like Jack. So that to me makes for a pretty boring TV character in the end of the day. I want to see I want to see some warts, man. Meanwhile, Sterling K. Brown continues to be an American treasure, and Susan Watson, who plays um Randall's wife Beth on the show, is the perfect co-star for him. I swear their interplay has made that one of the best marriages on TV, like in an instant, in my mind. I think to me, one of the things that makes This Is Us stand out among other family dramas and family shows that I've seen over the years, and there have been plenty of them, um, is that the fact the fact that this show continues to embrace its dark side, I think that's what honestly has made it a hit. People love that. People love when you go dark, man. Impending death, mental illness, questionable decisions. These are things that shade almost every episode of This Is Us. I mean, I would not call this a feel-good show. Sometimes this show is downright haunting. But in the end, I think, you know, what, what makes this show so good and what makes this show such a hit is the, the cast 
and the writing because the writing is very good also um i'm always i'm always marveling as somebody who really enjoys television writing um at how clever they are with the way that they put stories together and with the way that they make arcs interesting over the long run and we're talking about a family show again we're not talking about like an action show where it's like life or death every time but they continue to make things interesting in the way that they reveal things they're very good at the reveal this show is very good at the reveal and that might be cheap but i think it it really works well and i i don't know i don't know if this is us is going to hold up to a rewatch i'm not sure um i have not gone back to rewatch the first season at all so i don't know but I feel like if you, as you're going for the ride, maybe just like with Jackass, maybe there is a link between Jackass and This Is Us. Maybe it's that if you're here when it's airing and you're watching it and you're in the throes of it and you're going to work the next day and talking to people about it and you're talking to your family about it when you get together, it's kind of like this universal touchstone that we all talk about. And that's the great thing about any TV show that airs on the traditional TV style of just a certain night, one night of the week, you got to see it or you missed it. Um and I think, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that makes This Is Us such a cultural event for uh, for this time. So I, I hope it continues to be good. I, I really do look forward to watching it. And I was bummed when the second season ended. I felt like it, it just ended so quickly. Um, there were only a, a handful of episodes that aired after the uh, mid-season break. And then it was like, This Is Us will be back next season. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't even realize that that was the finale. So I don't know. But that finale did give us a lot of questions. So cliffhanger city as usual when it comes to opening up next season and i give them credit for not stretching out the jack's death storyline anymore because other shows would have seen how much you know how popular the show has been networks may have pressured them to hey can we stretch this out and maybe make it last till the third season i'm so glad they didn't do that that would have been so cheap but other shows have done it would have done it so i'm glad this is us avoided that and took the high road and created some new cliffhangers for us to check in on next year. So what do you think? You watch This Is Us? You can always write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, especially on Jackass or This Is Us, man. Um, Two very different shows for very different eras of television. All right, I'm going to take a break and toss things over to Andy, and uh, we'll see what he's got going on this week. Take it away, my friend. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Oh, friends, good God, I have missed you. I uh, I wasn't able to make it last month, busy doing other shit, so I, I started gearing up 
in preparing for this episode, and out of the blue, Clint hits me up with the news. Uh, the news that we don't, we don't have OverdueReview.com anymore. The whole damn thing was, was zapped. Uh, so all of our work, years of worth of work, is out there in digital limbo somewhere. Uh, we're hoping that we can get it back, uh, but we're, we're, we're basically homeless now uh, in, in a sense. So um, there's no sight behind us. So we're down to this, friends. It, we're down to this show. It's do or die, uh, and we're mighty glad to be with you. Because this is all we got left, for Christ's sake. This is it. Make sure uh, you hop on iTunes, by the way. Rate us five stars. If you think it's worth a five-star program, takes you two seconds. Please help us out. Help us with our standing. Give us a review if you're feeling extra kind. We'd uh, we'd definitely appreciate it. And uh, last month, I I, got to tell you, I missed the hell out of doing this show. Um. So we got a lot to catch up on. On to today's lesson, which is fairly simple. The lesson is this. Take care of your own or else they'll take care of themselves. Take care of your own or they'll be forced to take care of themselves. And odds are good that you'll be in the rear view with your dick in your hand. Look. It happens all the time in in business. If you don't take care of your employees, they'll leave. They'll leave because they're talented and they have other options. And this, this applies to every industry. Not one of them is excused from this rule. Take care of your own or else they'll take care of themselves. The movie industry isn't uh, excused from this rule and especially not the music industry. Why does Live Nation have so many clients? It's because they're client-friendly. They may not be (laughs) consumer-friendly, but their clients are happy. Two artists I really admire are Casey Musgraves and Maren Morris, and they're both about to bolt for greener pastures. It seems like they're on the cusp of going where perhaps they could be more appreciated. Let me frame it another way. Both of them came up through country music. They're both very talented songwriters. I I, I would direct you over to OverdueReview.com to check out my review of Casey Musgraves' first album, but it, it doesn't exist anymore. Country music is funny. I would argue that there's more conformity in country music than any other genre. And it's not really kind to free spirits. Both Musgraves and Morris are free spirits. So they never really broke through into sort of that that mainstream country uh, thing, not totally anyway, uh, especially Casey Musgraves. She was dinged for being just a little too progressive for country music. People always like to pull these, uh, you know, handful of talking points that I have in my songs. 
and, and call those out and, you know, really focus on those. But to me, these things aren't very progressive issues. So it, I just, I chuckle a little inside when that happens. You know, people say, she's so progressive or she's a rebel or whatever. And I think it's cool because it's just, um, it is the way that the world is moving, the human race is moving. The truth is that it, the songs are just about life. I've got to tell you a story. I worked as a DJ a few years ago, an on-air DJ at a country station in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, I was doing the show then. You may remember uh, me talking about it. But I was chatting with uh, the higher-ups, and I asked about Casey Musgraves, basically trying to figure out why we weren't playing her, why she wasn't on our playlist why didn't we have her on the radio? The reason I was told was because she was a critic's darling. That was the term that was used, critic's darling. And fans weren't into her as much as critics were. That was their rationale. So I'm thinking, well, how can fans get into it when you don't play her on the radio? But she was just dismissed out of hand, just like that. And country programmers... Uh, attend the same conferences, they get the same releases from the industry, they share resources, they basically all have uh, different variations of the same playlist. So the sentiment that I was hearing was essentially industry-wide. It, it was too bad. Particularly because country radio carries more weight than other stations. Uh, those are loyal listeners. So as the only genre left who really has a loyal following on terrestrial radio, they're scared to death to lose it. They don't take any chances. And the end result is that they practically pander to their audience. But, you know, whatever. They're selling ads. But Casey Musgraves was never really embraced by country radio. She wrote great songs. She got great reviews. Her, her shows drew well. She opened up for a, a multitude of acts. But yet she still couldn't get played on country radio. She did everything right, but couldn't get played on country radio. Well, who needs it? She just put out a new song called High Horse, and now she's, she's flexing different muscles. Take a listen. Reportedly, she's been listening to a lot of Bee Gees. You can hear it. Again, this is High Horse. Up, up. So get up, get up. 
All right. And here's the Bee Gees. So, yeah, it's there. Now, there are just certain things that country music doesn't do. Disco is one of them. R&B is another. But Musgraves, before she put out this song, High Horse, with kind of that disco vibe, she was featured on a Miguel song. It's called Waves, the remix. Um, set it up, keep it rolling. So what's going on here? Disco, R&B? Well, she may very well have started experimenting with other genres, even if she had been embraced by country and selling lots of records and headlining tours. But when you're shunned, it makes it easier to experiment, doesn't it? It makes it easier to wander. It makes it easier to try new things. People like Musgraves grew up listening to all kinds of music. And from now on, that's how it's going to be. They burn CDs with lots of different genres on them. They live a shuffle lifestyle, right? So creative musicians these days are capable of tapping into different sides of their creativity. Now, to a degree, this has always been true. How many sounds has Bob Dylan had, or David Bowie, or Cash, or Lou Reed, or or Neil Young, even Dolly Parton? She had pop hits, and the country establishment rolled their eyes. She basically carved out an establishment of her own over the years because she was no longer at home in the traditional country establishment. And what do you know? Dolly Parton is one of Casey Musgrave's heroes. If you don't take care of your own, they will take care of themselves. Here's the question. Has country music lost Casey Musgraves? Or are they in danger of losing a talented artist like Casey Musgraves because they did not take care of her? We were also talking about Marin Morris. Marin Morris has gotten along better in country music compared to Musgraves, but but not much. She never uh, received the airplay that Justin Moore or Jason Aldean or Kelsey Ballerini got. Look, I know this because I saw the playlist. Take care of your own or else they will be forced to take care of themselves. Maren Morris now has a larger audience than she ever did. And she attained that audience by way of pop and electronic music. Here's the thing. She was recently featured on a song by Zed, the producer. The song is called The Middle, and you've probably heard it. Dance, pop, electronic, whatever you want to call it, Morris actually became the first country act to ever top the dance charts. That was also a 
top 10 hit on the Hot 100. That's Pop Radio. You want a hot take? Here it is. More and more musicians will be able to do this. So fans will follow these artists. You want to do pop? Cool, I like pop. You want to do rock or folk? I'm down. I can dig those. Virtually no one listens to only this or only that. That's just not the way we do things. We live a shuffle lifestyle. And musicians musicians should feel liberated by that. They should feel liberated. But if I'm a country music executive... Maybe I need to take care of my own. Hey, look, I want to talk about the weekend. Can't feel my face came out almost three years ago. Can you believe that? <laughs> three years. Anyway, The weekend has got a new EP called My Dear Melancholy. Six songs. It was a surprise release. Popped up about six hours uh, ahead of the, the actual release itself. Six hours ahead of time. It pretty much sounds like you'd expect with a title like My Dear Melancholy. There's autotune. There's moody synthesizers. That light piano. There's a song called Call Out My Name and it'll dominate your girlfriend's playlist for a while so you might as well get used to it now The weekend does a lot of things really, really well. One of them is that he combines vulnerability with defiance. And those seem to be mutually exclusive, don't they? Except when it comes to a person's emotional state, almost nothing is mutually exclusive. One area sort of bleeds into another, and he drills down, and he gets to that point better than most. It's a gift that he's got. It's nighttime music. It's stoned music. It's give-me-one-more-chance music. It's yearning to... Make a move, yet utterly besieged by immobility. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So, when your girlfriend puts it on in the car, know the emotional palette she's drawing from. There's there's a lot to consider in this music. Or, you know, you don't, you don't have to consider anything. You just feel it. You can do that, too. That works as well. And you, you know something that's funny about the, the weekend I started thinking about this as I, as I listened to this song, and I've been listening to it a lot. I still don't know if people realize how big The Weeknd is. He has three number one records, seven top ten hits, and three number one songs. Those three songs, The Hills, Can't Feel My Face, and Earned It. He's also one hell of a businessman. 
This is true. During the American Leg of a Fall 2013 tour, he collaborated with one, a condom-producing company, to give away limited-edition condoms at his shows. The mascot that was included on the Kissland album was printed on one side of the rubber. <laughs> he, he later worked with PAX Labs to sponsor an electronic cigarette that could be smoked during his concerts. In 2017, he launched a Starboy comic book. You think you would have heard about some of this stuff, but but I digress. My point is that The Weeknd is a huge star, but he's a low-key star. He's a big star, but he's low-key. Three Grammy Awards, eight Billboard Music Awards, two American Music Awards, and nine Juno Awards. What's a Juno Award? I have no clue, but they found their way into my research. Look, some guys are just like that, though. Big stars. Rich, successful, interesting people. But they're, they're just not showy. It's like it's low-key stardom. Writing style is more or less an evolution. I've learned to take more care in how I say things as opposed to being cavalier. The production is pretty much me asking myself constantly, did I do this or have I used this formula before? Have I used similar sounds or have I done this arrangement before all right guys you're probably aware that we're building the most perfect playlist known to man you can find uh this playlist anytime on Spotify you search for the stream police podcast playlist at the end of uh each of my segments I'll add five more songs to this playlist for you to enjoy. So put that thing on shuffle. Let the good times roll. First, it's Bye Bye Love by the Everly Brothers. I've actually been listening to a version by um, George Harrison and Paul Simon, but but I've always loved the original. Uh, second, it's one of my favorite songs by the Traveling Wilburys called Congratulations. And you know what? Clint was uh, giving me some shit recently for not uh, including enough Springsteen in my playlist. So let me go, let me go, Bruce, for these last three tunes. And, and I'll reach fairly deep. The first cut is from 2009's uh, Working on a Dream record. It's called Life Itself. Life itself. 
Then, from the tracks box set, it's Loose Change. Meet her at a friendly little bar down along the coast. She said it was her birthday, so we had us a nice little toast. Drove around for a while, smoked a few cigarettes. Took her back to my place She slept off her party dress Sat for a while On the edge of the bed Just talking Loose change in the pocket And finally, and, and we'll kick it up a little bit From the Live 7585 box set. This is called Seeds. All right, guys, once again, do us a favor. Rate us five stars on iTunes. Show us some love. We're not making a nickel off of this. <laughs> if you're feeling extra generous, charitable, you can even leave us a review. God, we would we would appreciate it. We would really appreciate it. Everybody's got a podcast these days. Your, uh, your uh, Aunt Martha probably has her own podcast. So it's a... It's look, the arena is crowded. We're struggling to stand out, but uh, but we appreciate you taking the ride with us. So, friends, that does it for me. If you want to get in touch, I'm at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal all squished together. At gmail.com. Enjoy the playlist. Enjoy the tunes. Peace out. Hey, thank you very much, my friend. Always good to hear from the indefatigable Andy Sedlak here on the Stream Police Podcast. Um, if you really do enjoy the show, it, it does go a long way to give uh, a rating out there um, just for you know maybe prospective new listeners to check it out. Maybe we can grow our numbers even a little bit more here on the Stream Police. All right, I want to get to another show that has become a hit at least after just two episodes and that is ABC's Roseanne the revival of the great 80s and 90s sitcom which I have talked about before on this show and have told you that that is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time Um, I even included Roseanne as one of our picks in the canon of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time this week I don't remember which episode offhand it was but you can go back and check it out the Roseanne theme song. I talked about it at length and talked about some of the reasons why I always loved this show. So I was looking forward to the reboot anyway. I mean, the original cast is back, um, and 
The original set is back. The Afghan is back on the couch. So what's not to like about this? So I sat down and watched the first two episodes of the Roseanne reboot, as also did many other people, as I've heard, uh, because it was a rating smash for those first couple episodes, which aired on one night uh, when the show came back just recently. I got to tell you, of the two episodes that aired, the second episode I thought was much better than the first one. The first one was, to me, felt very awkward, felt like it was trying way too hard to be political, to be current, which was something that Roseanne never was. This this was not a show that you would tune into to check out, you know, to hear about current events and the takes on the, the day's politics. That was not, I mean, the, 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 the folks in the Connor household never talked about, you know, what was going on in the real world, except for sports sometimes. I mean, that was about as close as they came. Like, you'd have Dan and Darlene talking Chicago Bulls basketball because when the show was airing, you know, it was when the Bulls were at their height and uh, they were, and Darlene was a huge, huge Bulls fan and so was Dan. But I just thought that first episode of the new Roseanne reboot just felt very awkward. And I was like, oh God, this is going to be a long season if this is how every episode is going. I just felt like they were really trying to force in political references that even though they're, they're current, they feel really dated. At this point, right? I mean, you know, Aunt Jackie shows up wearing a nasty woman T-shirt. I mean, that would have been cutting in like the early months of 2017. But right at this point, we're almost two years removed from Trump's election. So I had I had honestly forgotten about the whole nasty woman thing. I mean, I, I didn't even remember that that was a thing. And also, when when the door opens and we see Jackie for the first time, she she calls, you know, Roseanne a deplorable which pause for big laughs and then continue. It reminded me of something that I had long forgotten. I mean, when's the last time you heard the phrase deplorables? I mean, that was, again, I think that would have been a solid joke if this show had been airing in April of 2017. But April of 2018, I mean, by this point, it's like, yeah, we've all gotten used to the fact that we're seeing Donald Trump on TV every single night behind the presidential seal. And it's like we've long forgotten about the candidacy of Hillary Clinton and all the nasty woman stuff and all that. So I don't know. That just to me felt dated, even though it was current. It still felt dated to me. And it, it felt so forced, man. And and again, I, I, one of the reasons I thought the second episode was better than the first one is because it seemed like the actors were a lot more comfortable. I don't know what the schedule was for filming this show. I mean, usually with a pilot, you film the pilot way before you film any other episodes because you're going to shoot a pilot and then you're going to, you know, show it to the network if they like it, then they give you the thumbs up for more episodes um and then you go from there. So that's on oftentimes why a pilot for any show is feels way different than the rest of the series and honestly can can usually feel worse than the rest of the series. Sometimes the first episodes are the worst episodes. As as you know, if you've watched a lot of TV shows. So I don't know what the schedule was, but the second episode, I felt like the actors were so much more comfortable with being back in that three camera sitcom setup that they had been gone from for so long. I mean, think about the, the people in this cast. I, I mean, John Goodman, since Roseanne went off the air, he has not been, you know, a television actor. And he, he's been, you know, a, a, one of the most in-demand film actors that there is in the business. And acting for a movie is so different from acting for a three-camera sitcom with a studio audience, you know. Um, and, and Roseanne, I mean, she really hasn't done much. She's gotten back into doing stand-up. But it's been a long time since she's done this. And 
you know, same for, I, I guess Sarah Gilbert has been in front of a live studio audience, you know, a lot recently, but, you know, it's in a different capacity. It's a talk show. It's not a, it's not a, a sitcom. So her delivery felt stilted in that first episode. Also, even Lori Metcalf, who was just nominated for an Oscar for Lady Bird, won a Tony a couple years ago. Great actor, obviously, who plays Aunt Jackie, but, you know, she hadn't done a, a three camera sitcom set up that often. Um, I think she had been in, had she been in the Big Bang Theory, I'm pretty sure, but it just felt kind of stilted, I thought, in that first episode. And what was up with DJ sitting at the table and, and he's, his daughter's black, I guess, and that, that was never referenced. And is her name, did they even say what her name was? He, I think DJ had like two lines. It was basically just exposition uh, f- thrown in there to say that he had been in the army and that his, you know, his wife was still over there. Or something. I mean, and then we never heard anything else about DJ or his, his daughter or his wife for the next two uh, for the next episode or for the rest of that episode. So that to me felt very strange. Like, I guess we'll see more about him later. But I don't know. It was just like there's a lot of questions there for me to, you know, I need to have answered right now. So, again, I thought the second episode was a lot better, much um, felt much more more natural. The storyline, I thought, was more interesting, um, and it wasn't trying so hard with the political references, which to me made the first episode almost unbearable. It was just awkward to watch, really. It wasn't that funny. Um, the show, if you, Roseanne, back in the day, this show was gifted with some of the great writers of t- of recent TV history. The writing staff from the original Roseanne series included people like Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino, who created Gilmore Girls. You know, they wrote for Roseanne for a while. Chuck Lorre, who is like, you know, a TV producing juggernaut, wrote for Roseanne. Joss Whedon wrote for Roseanne. Joss Whedon, the guy who brought us the Avengers movie, um, and, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, I mean, Joss Whedon's done so much great television and movie work over the years. Uh, that, you know, the, the fact that he, Roseanne was one of his first jobs is, you know, really impressive. Norm MacDonald wrote for Roseanne. Tom Arnold, of course, Roseanne's ex-husband, wrote for the show as well. And, I mean, this show just was really gifted over the years with great writers. And I, I'm not sure who's in the staff now, aside from Whitney Cummings, but they do have some big shoes to fill bringing the show back at this point. It was a, I mean, it was almost like an intellectual show at times, just in the way that it's so bluntly dealt with real life and real life issues and day-to-day things. But let me talk about something that I think is is kind of alarming and weird, and that's the fact that Roseanne now has become like, it's almost like people are trying to make it this show that's like by conservatives for conservatives. And that was never what Roseanne, the original show, was ever about. I mean, again, this was not a politically bent show at all. But now it's like, Roseanne Barr is like one of the original trolls. You know, if you know anything about Roseanne, she's like, like all she is, is just like one of the world's biggest assholes. Like you remember when she sang the national anthem in the early nineties, she went out there, you know, at a baseball game and, and belted out the national anthem. And it, it sounded like, you know, a screaming cat and people were booing her. People hated her. Who's about drive and ride I mean, could you imagine her doing that today? Could you imagine Roseanne going out in this incarnation where she's like Trump's best friend and the Trump voters love her and singing the national anthem and basically making a mockery of it at a sporting event? Could you imagine how that would go over today? 
I don't think Roseanne Barr was ever a conservative before. I don't know if she's a conservative now, but she just likes Trump, I think, because she's an asshole. That's that's the whole reason why Roseanne became a big star. She's just an asshole, and she likes to do things her own way. She likes to basically, when you zig, she likes to zag, and that's kind of what makes her tick. So I think if you're too, if you're worried about this show being, like, if you're a liberal, and you watch the Roseanne, and you don't want to watch the Roseanne show because you feel like you're supporting, you know, Trump people, and it's just going to be a show that is pro-Trump and all that. Don't worry about that because I don't think if this show is anything like. Um, the original series, it's going to be a show that's going to make you feel like it's it's banging pro-Trump rhetoric into your head. And I think even in the first two episodes, I don't feel like that was a conservative show. I mean, what I saw was a show that was supportive of a kid who's gender fluid right now, and that's that being Darlene's son. I mean, Dan and Roseanne wanted the kid to, you know, dress like a, a typical boy, dress like a stereotypical boy. Um, in masculine clothing, whatever, whatever that means. Um, and basically they wanted him to do that because so he wouldn't get beat up. So, I mean, really, they were trying to watch out for him, but it was great because Darlene stuck up for him. She was always different. She always wore, she always dressed like a boy, and I'm glad they referenced that uh, in the show because Dan never had a problem with that back in the day. So it was nice to, to see a callback to the original series and not act like that didn't exist uh, in a character like Darlene. And in the end, you know, they supported uh, the kid going uh, going to school and dressing however he wanted to. And I think little Mark is going to be, I hope, more than just a storyline pawn. Um, and I hope he has more defining characteristics than just the way he dresses and the way he thinks of his gender as the show goes on. But again, I didn't see a show that was trying to shame him or trying to turn him back into something that he's not. Um, I saw a show that was supportive and embracing of of different people. I mean, and back in the day, Roseanne, this was a show that hit hard on issues like teen sex before other shows were doing that, and not in a way that made it sound all bad. You know, this wasn't a show that was saying, like, teens shouldn't have sex. This this show had kind of like a liberal view on that. I mean, do you remember the episode where Roseanne lets Becky get on birth control when she's just a teenager in high school? Well, I, w- I was thinking, you know, um, j- just in case we decide to... Um that it's time f- for me to um, get some birth control. Isn't it great, Roseanne? <laughs> that Becky has such a wonderful, progressive, open-minded mom that she can talk to about that. Uh huh. <laughs> Really? So this is okay with you? Uh huh. <laughs> You're kidding. I can't believe how great you're being. I'm so glad Jackie made me tell you. Roseanne, I thought that we should uh, take her. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure, we'll take her. Oh, great. I'm so glad oh, I told her. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mom. Oh, boy. This is a good thing, Roseanne. Are you crazy? She wants me to take her to get birth control, and that's a good thing? You need to sit down? No, Jackie, no. I need to lay down in a great big pine box. You know, we find out in the end that Becky has already had sex with her boyfriend, and she now just wants extra protection. Um, And Roseanne, you know, keeps her secret for her and agrees to let her get on birth control. That episode was written by Amy Sherman Palladino and was one of the best episodes of the series. 
And then there was the show's cavalier attitude toward religion. The Connor family obviously was not a religious family. And I think that's something that the right-leaning voters wouldn't necessarily appreciate today, but it's the truth of these characters and the truth of this series. I just had some questions about God and stuff. Well, so why didn't you come to us if you had questions? You know, there's no two better people to answer your questions than me and your dad. Okay. What religion are we? I have no idea, Dan. (laughs) Well, my family's Pentecostal on my mom's side, Baptist on my dad's. Your mom's mom was Lutheran and her dad was Jewish. So what do we believe? Well, we believe in uh, being good. So basically, we're good people. (laughs) Yeah, but we're not practicing. It's just that they didn't really give a shit about religion. I mean, at the end of the day. I mean, if you go back and watch The Simpsons, The Simpsons has more of a religious bend to it than Roseanne ever did. So I don't know. I don't buy Roseanne as a conservative show. And I think anyone trying to spin the narrative that Roseanne is a conservative show is only trying to push their own agenda. They're not really talking about the show truthfully. They're not really they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They have their heads up their asses. So Roseanne may be a big conservative now. She may be a big Trump supporter and Trump voter and friend of Trump now. But, I mean, that's because she's really rich now. She's in a way different—she made $200 million off of that series. So she's in a very different place now than she was when the series first started. But she's not writing the show now. She wasn't writing the show then either, but she's not writing the show. So we got to count on the writing staff to keep this show grounded in what made it great the first time and not try to make it into something that it never was, which was a big show that was a rallying cry for conservatives— all over the country to tune in every week and feel like they have someone on TV who watches out for their interests. That's not at all what this show ever was, and I don't think it should be now. I never raised you to be some little bigot. I just don't want to kiss her. Hey, black people are just like us. They're every bit as good as us, and any people who don't think so is just a bunch of banjo-picking, cousin-dating, barefoot, embarrassments to respectable white trash like us. Kissing that girl is not going to hurt him, and that is exactly what he's going to do. I think you're being a little too hard on the kid. He grew up in Lanford. It's only 5% black, and kissing's a new thing for a DJ. It's only natural he's not as comfortable kissing a black girl as one of his own. I did not say that. Well, at least now I know where he gets it. I'm not a racist. Yeah, and neither's your father. He always says he has no problem with the colors. I'm not my father. If I knew you was going to be passing down your family's crack to my kids, I would not be having another one with you. Yeah, well, DJ's got it easy. I'm supposed to kiss you tonight. (laughs) So there you go. Roseanne right now is airing its 10th season. Uh, right now on ABC, you can check it out. It's uh, on Hulu as well and on demand. Uh, if you want to, if you want to watch, if you watch that first episode, I'm telling you, it's really uncomfortable. If you think the first episode is is bad, and you're like, well, I'm not going to watch anymore, give the second episode a chance because to me, it was much better. And if you like the, how the second episode is, I think that's hopefully what we're going to see going forward here because this really is a very gifted cast. Um, and hopefully they've got a good writing staff back together again. But it's truly, it's a great cast, and it's really cool to see them all back together again. Even if they all kind of look like shit at this point, uh, it's still, it's cool to see them back together and back on that old set again. Just, you know, brings back some good some good memories of great TV past. All right, before I head out the door, I want to give you a couple movies that are now streaming on Netflix and Amazon that you should check out. Uh, First off, on Netflix, one of my all-time favorite movies, 1995's Heat, 
directed by Michael Mann and starring Al Pacino and Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro. This is just an incredible movie. It's an epic. It's like three hours long, and it's as good a crime movie as I have ever seen. Um, and I think anyone will agree with me who has watched this movie. He is just powerhouse, man. And Pacino and De Niro, you know, get one scene together, but they make it count because it's one of the best scenes in movie history with some of the best dialogue ever. This movie, period, just has some of the best dialogue, some of the best quotes that you'll ever hear in any movie. So I can't recommend Heat anymore. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's Dead tech, postmodernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. If for years you've been putting it off, check out Heat from 1995 right now on Netflix. And on Amazon Prime right now streaming is a 2013 little romantic comedy called What If that Beth and I just watched the other day. And, you know, I really enjoyed it, actually. It's got a good little cast, and it's a cut above romantic movie i'm not going to say that it's it's not on the level of like when harry met sally or annie hall or you know anything like that but it's a very good you know little romantic movie for the for the current generation nice little cast too daniel radcliffe adam driver mackenzie davis zoe kazan pretty cool little movie and um it's you know just again not your typical sappy romantic movie but it does have its moments where it turns sappy as well so check that out on amazon right now it's called what if and it's from 2013. And I got to say, you know you're a true movie nerd when you're watching a movie. And we were watching What If the other day. And I got so excited because in one scene, Zoe Kazan, who is the granddaughter of Elia Kazan, the great director and name-namer. But still, he was a great director. And Una Chaplin, who's the, the granddaughter, great-granddaughter of Charlie Chaplin. Zoe Kazan and Una Chaplin were in one scene together. And I was, like, so pumped up just to see, like, Elia Kazan and Charlie Chaplin's, you know, granddaughters together in a scene. Just talk Again, talk about being a movie nerd. That really got me excited. So uh, What If right now from 2013 is on Amazon. And it also shows that Daniel Radcliffe, he really, I mean, he's a very, really good, you know, little actor, man. He does a, a nice job. Uh, I don't mean to be condescending there. He's not little. He's not a, a young guy anymore. But I still just think of him as a kid you know wearing those harry potter glasses but he's really uh he's, he's done some good work in a couple movies that i've seen him in and this was a you know again more evidence that he's uh, I, I think he's got a long career ahead of him in acting all right i'm heading out the door and i'm gonna go lay back in bed again and try to get my temperature down below 100 but hey i'll sit in here in this closet and sweat it out for you guys to talk about tv and talk about movies on the stream police anytime once again i'm sorry i don't have any updates on what's going on with overdue review i don't know what's going to happen uh with the website just uh not clear i mean it sucks because really that's been for the last five years it's kind of got my life's work on it but uh i'm just not sure you know what where to go from here what to do but i'll keep you updated here on the next episode of the stream police podcast at very least so once again, I'm Clint Davis. I want to thank Andy Sedlak for chipping in as well. If you want to reach out to me anytime, it's theclintdavis at gmail.com. T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, my friend. It means a lot. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Until then, stream on.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.